Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley, and I am the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Supersight is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. Many of us treat sleep as if it were optional. Some even view our need for it as a sign of weakness. These fallacies fly in the face of what science is telling us. Simply put, every aspect of our physical and mental health is affected by the quality of our sleep. Our judgment is improved or impaired. Our ability to control our weight can be impacted. And if that's not enough, even the quality of our sex lives can depend on the quality of our sleep. Yet for so many of us, sleep can seem like an uncooperative dance partner. Falling asleep can be hard. Staying asleep can be hard. Waking up and getting out of bed can be hard. Wouldn't it be great to have a better relationship with sleep? Here to help is one of the world's leading experts in sleep medicine. Dr. Michael Bruce is a clinical psychologist and both a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. He is regularly interviewed on TV and has been widely featured on CNN, Oprah, Dr. Oz, The View, Anderson Cooper, The CBS Early Show, and many, many others. He has written several best-selling books on sleep, including The Power of When, which we will discuss in this episode. So listen in as Dr. Bruce and I do a deep dive into the science of sleep. Dr. Bruce, welcome to Super Psyched. Thanks for having me. I am excited to be here. I'm so glad. Well, I'm going to kick it right off and ask you that big question. Many people live under the illusion that sleep is expendable. Some people even take pride in saying they need very little sleep. Other people, including greats like LeBron James, cite sleep as a huge part of their success. Right. Can you help us understand the importance of sleep on our physical and mental health? Absolutely. So first of all, excellent question. And thank you for asking it. So look, here's the bottom line is we all need different amounts of sleep at different times in our lives. So this one size fits all myth that everybody needs eight hours is total crap. Okay. It doesn't work that way ever. So LeBron is actually an excellent example. Um, my, my sources tell me that he can sleep anywhere from nine to 10 hours before a game. Right. Um, and uh, if you look at the data out of Stanford, there was a researcher, her name is Doc, uh, Dr. Cherry Ma. She looked at free, free throw shooting um, yeah. and sleep deprivation. And what sure. she discovered was when people sleep nine and 10 hours, their accuracy just increases, increases, increases. Um, now that's very different. So LeBron runs a very different schedule than, for example, me. Okay. So I go to bed at midnight. I wake up at around 6.13 every single morning. <laughs> 6.13. I don't know what it is, dude. I, I open my eyes and bam, it's on the clock, whether I like it or not. And it's just my <laughs> circadian rhythmicity. I'm so consistent with my sleep schedule that believe it or not, and I didn't start out this way. And that's kind of an interesting point, right? Is if you can maintain a very large level of consistency with your sleep in terms of your wake up time, the amount of sleep that you require begins to shrink. Huh. Now, this is not something that a lot of people know. Also, if you sleep during the time period of your chronotype, so you're falling in line with your natural rhythmicity, 
then that also actually shrinks the amount of sleep that you need. Because here's where that whole eight idea hour came from, was they, they, they took people and they stuck them into this time deprivation tank. And they said, we're going to leave you in here, sleep as long as you want or as short as you want. We're going to leave you in here for 30 days. So there was a bathroom, there was food, there was all this kind of stuff, but no time cues. And after 30 days, they let them out. And what they discovered was they were sleeping on average eight hours and about 13 minutes. Wow. So that's where that whole idea came from. This was a study done in the 40s. Okay. Okay. And so now let's fast forward to the 2020s, right? With all the different influences that we have, blue light, stress, all these different things the evolution of our sleep has certainly changed. Now, let's take it, let's, let's go down a separate path. Let's look at somebody, for example, um, who has significant mental health issues, right? So let's take somebody who's got major depression or bipolar disorder, right? right. These people cannot change the amount of sleep because they, we now know that when they become sleep deprived, almost all of their symptomatology increases dramatically, sure. right? And so when we talk to people who have depression, anxiety, bipolar, um, even um, some of the more profound things like schizophrenia, things like that, we have to really keep those folks on a nice tight schedule because sleep affects every organ system, every disease state, everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. And if you have any type of mental health issue, and by the way, a hundred percent of people do, so mm-hmm. you're not alone. We all <laughs> have got something. Let's just be clear about that. Your, your whole emotionality is affected by sleep. My daughter actually says it the best. She says, dad, when you don't get enough sleep, you're a grumpy fish. Sure. Right? I mean, does it, does it make, I mean, it's the perfect descriptor, right? Grumpy fish, like that describes it to everybody. But if we really want to break it down, physically, here's what, we can t- here's what I can tell you, is when you're more sleep deprived, well, let me give you a great example. Cancer cells multiply faster the more sleep deprived you are. Isn't that amazing? Cancer. Yes. Right? So, so we're not messing around here. We're, like, right. we're talking about one of the largest killers in the universe gets worse when you don't sleep well. Same thing with high blood pressure. Same thing with all cardiovascular problems, right? I mean, literally every physical issue has a circadian rhythm, number one. And number two, if you don't sleep well, it just gets worse. I'm not actually aware of any physical thing that you can do, any physical process that gets better with sleep deprivation. Right. And so then we have to define what is sleep deprivation, right? Because it's different. So if I'm sleep deprived, it's because I've slept five hours and 45 minutes. You might be sleep deprived, for example, if you sleep the amount that I do, which is six and a half hours or so. Sure. Right. So again, this is going to be different and it's going to be different inside our families. So our bed partners may need a different amount or our children may need a different amount. And of course, it changes across the ages. <laughs> sure. You know, I often think of Chicago O'Hare as being the airport through which all airplanes must pass. And I usually refer to sleep as being the O'Hare airport of all yes. behaviors. Everything passes through every endocrine, every emotional, every motor skill, every. And I had the pleasure of interviewing. Uh, a 90 plus year old, very successful man. And I asked him, what is the single criterion for living a good life? And he said, judgment. And judgment is so profoundly impaired Mm -hmm. in the absence of good sleep. Um, I want to go to the point that you mentioned about chronotypes, because that's a relatively new term. And many of the listeners have not heard of it. You've actually established basic chronotypes that are associated with sleep in terms of sleep hacking. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Of course, of course. So the, uh, the, so the concept is called chronotypes, but here's the good news is everybody's already know what, knows what this concept is. They just haven't heard that word before. <laughs> right. right. And so if you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, sure. you know what a chronotype is. 
So what we discovered, so back in the 70s, um, people started looking at these ideas. Are some people early risers, some people late? What's going on here? How does that work? Mm-hmm. What they discovered was early, uh, middle, and night. Um, that's been, that was kind of going on for 30, 40 years. Now, to be clear, this is genetic. This isn't something that you actually get to choose. Um, and, and although many people would like to. I w- I know, that's why I laugh. I really wish I could. I don't yeah. love my chronotype. Right. No, and many people don't. Um, many people say, gosh, I wish I was a lion, which is the early bird. Exactly. That's right? what I want to be. They're like, I want to wake up at 445 every morning and start my day and kick ass and do all of these great things. But here's the good news is if you're not born a lion, there are a lot of ways that you can still maintain good levels of energy. So I don't want you to worry about that. But let me back up and let me delineate out all the different types. So early bird is now called a lion. Sure. Okay. And so what we did was we put animals with each one of them. So that way people would relate to them. Here was the funniest part is when we're sitting, you can only imagine sitting around in the marketing meeting saying which animals should be which, <laughs> right? Right. It's like, nobody wants <laughs> to be a porcupine, Michael. So I think that <laughs> one's out, you know? And so, right. so I not- had to... Right. I had to choose animals that people would want to be sure. and that actually followed the circadian pathway that we were talking about. So early birds turn into lions. Lions actually get up before dawn. They usually have their first kill before dawn and they're the hunters, obviously. Right now, when we talk about these people as early risers, there's actually a lot of personality characteristics that we now know about them. These are very highly organized people. Um, I Oftentimes the COO of a company, so they're oftentimes the operator. The CEO is usually the visionary. Actually, those, those tend to be more night owls at times, um, but the operators, the people that get stuff done, have a tendency to be early morning lions. In the middle, we changed from hummingbirds, which was the old term, to bears. So more people are a bear than anything else. Believe it or not, 50% of the population or so is a bear. Honestly, I wish I was a bear, um, and I'll tell you why. Being a bear is the best because the entire schedule like all of our universe is based on a bear schedule. Sure. And if you look back from an evolutionary perspective, like you go back to hunter-gatherer times with villages, they had these three chronotypes already there, right? So there were the hunters that got up early in the morning. There was the, the bears, and so that would be the lions. The bears would mind the village, build the village, watch the kids, do all that kind of stuff. And then the night owls, or what I call a wolf, those would be the guards, right? Those would be the sentries, because they're up anyway, right? And so this is something that is not new. This is something that's been around forever. My contribution is I added insomnia um, to this because I found a genetically predetermined type of insomnia um, through looking through the literature that people can identify with and understand. And so some people have just a super erratic sleep schedule. Those people I call dolphins. Now you're probably wondering, okay, Michael, why dolphins? Like I get bear and I get wolf and I get lion, but why dolphin? So many people don't know this, but dolphins sleep unihemispherically. So yep. half of their brain is asleep while the other half is awake looking for predators. I felt like that was a great representation of my insomnia patients who are never quite asleep type right. of thing. Um, and, um, and who doesn't want to be a dolphin? Like, that's kind of cool, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> dolphins are, I mean, out of yeah, all the I, animals... I, I, I believe myself to be a dolphin and I'm not exactly thrilled by it, but yes, uh, I kind of want to be either a lion or a bear. Yeah. Yes. Well, and so dolphins are my problem children, right? And so they're the ones who have um, actually a lower sleep drive, genetically speaking. And that's something that's important for people to realize because, you know, we're talking about this whole topic of how much sleep does a person need, right? This is all genetically predetermined. Exactly. Um, so as an example, as a, as a night owl, I actually don't require as much sleep 
as an early bird or as a bear does, genetically speaking, which is kind of cool. I mean, it's good for me. It's extremely but, cool. But at the end of the day, I hate mornings. Like mm. to be clear, the only thing I hate more than mornings are morning people. Those <laughs> people are terrible, right? I mean, they're so freaking chipper every morning, driving you crazy. I'm like, I'm done with this. Um, but once you know and understand your chronotype, here's the coolest part is everything gets easier, right? So if I know that my hormones kick off at 5 a.m. like a lion would, then I can actually track my hormones very easily. And I know when times are that I've got high energy during the day and when times I've got low energy during the day. I'll know times when I'm more creative and times when I'm less creative. All of this is actually in my book called The Power of When, because it's when you do something, you can actually get the most out of it. And so that's kind of the concept behind the book and the chronotypes. Absolutely brilliant. Um, just a little bit of a pivot. Many people believe alcohol is a good substance to assist their sleep. And yet <laughs> you and I both know that unfortunately it's not. And I was wondering if you could kind of break it down. Of course. So number one, alcohol is no bueno. For, no bueno. No bueno for nighttime um, for a few different reasons. So um, first of all, um, specifically when you're talking about times during COVID, um, let's be very clear. Alcohol reduces immune function, period end of story. The data is very consistent on that. So if that's a concern for you, you should obviously slow down your drinking. But more importantly, alcohol almost obliterates stage three, four sleep. Stage three, four sleep is your physical restoration. So literally 90% of the reason, well, I shouldn't say 90, probably 60% of the reason you get a hangover is from lack of deep sleep. The other 40% is from dehydration. Right. So remember, alcohol is a diuretic. So once you're drinking a few beers or a couple scotches and you have to pee, once you break the seal, you're peeing all night long. Right. Right. And so you become dehydrated. So here's what's fascinating. People don't know this, but sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. Hmm. So just from breathing, we lose almost a full liter of water from the humidity in our breath all night long. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? So, we, so, and then we weigh less in the morning, of course, but. Right. Which is the great part about weighing less in the morning. But if you drank alcohol, right? And you started to dehydrate from that. Then you sleep, which is a dehydrative event. And you wake up in the morning, your body is so dehydrated at that point, that functionality is definitely going to start to ratchet down quite a bit. Now, here's the real trouble is when somebody grabs a cup of coffee as the first liquid that passes over their lips, because caffeine is a diuretic, right? And so sure. you think you're dragging it and then you drink some coffee and it's going to help you. But the fact of the matter is, is caffeine is the worst thing you could do in the morning. You should be drinking water, about 18 ounces every morning. Sure. And even though alcohol is a depressant and can help uh, ostensibly getting us to sleep, it has an excitatory effect paradoxically in the yep. middle of sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's two excitatory effects that are interesting with alcohol. One is once you get past about two drinks, right. um, it's a mess right? And so most people, one or two glasses of wine, you're chill, you're relaxed, everything's good. It's very interesting. Once uh, females get above uh, into the third drink, it can be excitatory. And for men, when they get to the third drink, um, they can actually get more aggressive, mm. right? And so one of the things that you don't want to be is drunk and aggressive, Yes. right? That's a bad combination, especially at home right before bed. Right? right. And so when you start to kind of stack it all up, there's different things. Now, you mentioned uh, the fact that it can be excitatory in the middle of the night. And so what that has to do with more times than not has to do with blood sugar. Right. So we've gotten enough alcohol in and our body is kind of 
use the blood sugar that it needs. And now all of a sudden it's like 2.30 in the morning. Our blood sugar is down because our body was basically using all the sugar to, um, to digest all the alcohol and the sugars and the tannins and things like that that are in there. And so our brain says, oh crap, what happened? I think I must've been anesthetized and it wakes us up. Right. Because our brain doesn't know why all of a sudden we just went unconscious. We, we just poured a toxic substance. Unfortunately, yes, alcohol would be considered a toxic substance <laughs> to our bodies in there. And then our body has got to break it down and eliminate it. And right. then it wakes up and it's like, holy crap, what just happened? Right. Right. It's like literally if you walked up to somebody and stuck an IV in them and then pulled it out and then they woke up 10 minutes later and I'm like, what's going on? That's kind of what happens when you drink alcohol before bed. So we're talking about the midnight awakenings and a lot of people wake up for a midnight to 3 a.m. P and they go back to bed and their mind is racing. They cannot fall back asleep. <laughs> oh, yes. Let's talk about that phenomenon for a second. Mm -hmm. What is the best advice for someone who has woken up and is having mm -hmm. trouble falling back asleep? Yep. So this is arguably the most popular question that I get other than what mattress should I buy? Mm -hmm. That turns out to be the most popular question, mm. oddly enough. Um, but the, I'll have to ask what that I, later because I uh, am curious. Yeah. What do I do if I wake up in the middle of the night? So first of all, so that everybody knows, I've actually written extensively about this on my blog. So if you get the chance to um, wander over to www.thesleepdoctor.com and click on the blogs, you will find quite a few blogs that give you strategies to use for what to do in the middle of the night. But let's just talk about the, the two or three things that could be going on and what you can do to identify them. So if you're a male... The first thing you need to understand is if you're waking up in the middle of the night, do you really have to go to the bathroom or not? Mm. Right? So if you have to wake up and go to the bathroom, so I'm 52 years old. I just started within the last probably year, year and a half, maybe twice a week waking up in the middle of the night to pee. So mm. what did I do? Called my urologist immediately, said, hey, could I have an enlarged prostate? Good news don't have an enlarged prostate. <laughs> I was drinking too many fluids before bed because I was trying to get my water in. So now I've sure. moved my water to earlier in the day and now I don't have that as an issue. So if you're a guy and you wake up in the middle of the night, call your doctor and make sure your prostate is good. Bottom line, that's right. the first step. Let's say you're fine. What do you do? Okay, let's talk through that as an idea. So there's a lot of different strategies, but I'm going to tell you exactly what to do and how to do it. So when you wake up in the middle of the night, the first thing that you're going to do that you should not do is look at the clock, okay? Because everybody does it. And right. then you instantly do the mental math, mm. right? How much time do I got? How much time do I have left? And then something interesting happens. You get pissed off. Sure. Right? Because you say, oh, crap. I've only got two hours, three hours, one hour left before my alarm goes off. Yep. Ugh, sleep, sleep. <laughs> and you try sleep, to sleep. Right, exactly. So here's my theory about sleep. I believe that sleep is a lot like love. The less you look for it, the more it shows up, <laughs> right? So if you're out there trying to find that perfect person for you, the second you stop, that person has a tendency to show up in your life. Really the same holds true with sleep. When you're trying to sleep, it's causing all this autonomic arousal, right? And so what happens is your sympathetic nervous system kicks into gear. We want parasympathetic for sleep. But when you're angry, sympathetic kicks into gear. Your cortisol spikes. There's no freaking way you're going to sleep at that point. So here's my advice of what to do in the middle of the night. So I'd love it if you didn't look at the clock, but I'm not so foolish as to think that that's not going to occur. Right. I'd like you to flip the script. 
So instead of it being a negative experience, it becomes a positive mm -hmm. experience, okay? So how on earth do we do that, Michael? So this is what I started doing personally, and then I did it with my patients. It's all about intent, right? So when I look at the clock, here's what I say to myself. This is awesome. I've got two more hours to, to potentially fall back asleep and get some great sleep. I know that if I lie here, even if I don't fall asleep, an hour's worth of rest is worth about 20 minutes of sleep. So I'm going to chill and I'm going to relax. And if I get some extra rest, that'd be awesome. But if I don't, that's okay too. And I just close my eyes, right? What an so important thing, about by the way. Intent. Sorry, go ahead. I love that you said rest, an hour of rest is worth 20 minutes of sleep. Correct. That's a very important piece of knowledge for people to carry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, so even it's, though they're just laying still, they are getting benefit. There's no question. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are. So again, change your intent. Mm -hmm. Now let's say that you've, you've told this to yourself and oh my gosh, I just can't turn off my brain, Dr. Bruce. I mean, I, I did what you said and I'm, I'm being super positive, but I've been here for 20 minutes and all I can think about is my business or my social life or something else that's going on. Absolutely. So, so we can use distraction techniques to help us out here. So the, the other piece of information that lots of people don't know is you want your heart rate to be at 60 or below in order to enter into a state of unconsciousness. So I have a couple of different techniques that you can utilize. So one is four, seven, eight breathing technique, mm. right? So a four, seven, eight breathing, which was created by the Navy SEALs, breathe in for a count of four, hold for a count of seven, breathe out for a count of eight. It dumps your heart rate. I mean, it just plummets your heart rate, which is perfect. So what people are doing to distract themselves is they're thinking about their breathing, right? So they think, I'm going to breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, go to seven, and then out, then go to eight, and count in your head. Here's the good news. Number one, you're doing a technique that's going to lower your heart rate. Number two, you're not thinking. Right. Right? That's your biggest problem is what's between your ears. 90% of sleep problems are between your ears. I can guarantee it. When you're talking about insomnia related stuff, apnea is much more of a physical situation. Sure. Narcolepsy, again, more physical. But when you're talking about people having difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep, there's a lot of anxiety that's going on. I'm going to give you another tip that's really fun. Um, and people think I'm crazy, but I promise you that it works. <laughs> is if you count backwards from 300 by threes. What? This is the new form of sheep counting. All right? sure. and, and so here's what it is, is it's mathematically so complicated, you can't think of anything else, and it's so damn boring, you're out like a light. Wonderful. And it just it's, preoccupies the mind and allows the parasympathetic to kick in. Exactly. Exactly. Now, let's say you've tried Michael's techniques. It's just not working. Hmm. I'm still up. I don't know what I, I'm doing. I've been lying here for an hour, and now I'm getting frustrated. Go ahead and get up. Okay? It's not going to kill you. Don't take any naps during the day, but the key factor here is do not go to bed earlier than you normally would because a lot of people, here's what they do. Oh, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. I am dragging it all day mm -hmm. long, Dr. Bruce. So I'm, I'm just going to sneak in and I'm going to go to bed at eight o'clock and I'm going to catch up on that sleep that I missed last night and I'm going to go forward. It's a great plan. <laughs> Un unfortunately, your biology is not going to comply. So there are two different systems in the brain. One is called your sleep drive. The other is called your sleep rhythm, right? Drive is something that gains over time. So when a cell eats a piece of glucose, something called adenosine comes out the back end. Adenosine builds up in your brain, makes you sleepier and sleepier. That's what makes you fall asleep. However, in order for your body to actually go to sleep, you need your circadian rhythm. 
So remember how you were talking about Chicago O'Hare before? Sure. As the place that everybody has to go Everything through. has to pass through. So Chicago O'Hare is actually the circadian rhythm of the entire, you know, uh, aeronautics system, right? And so if everything good has to go through there, when something jams up at Chicago O'Hare, you feel it at multiple airports down the road, right? right? It ripples. Exactly. The same holds true with circadian rhythmicity. When your sleep is off, all of your rhythms are off. And that's why you speak about being consistent about your sleep times. Exactly. And so if you have an opportunity to like go check out the power of when, or look at my quiz, it's called chronoquiz.com. You can figure out what your, uh, what your avatar is, what your chronotype is. And then it also will tell you what time to go to bed, what time to wake up. And so once you start putting these pieces together, it actually works out really, really well. That's fantastic. Uh, Before I forget, uh, beds, (laughs) let's go there. Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about mattresses, so here's the thing. I believe that sleep is a performance activity, right? So I'm a runner. um, And when I run, I can run in flip-flops and cutoffs with torn shirt, you know, and a boombox on my arm, but my time's not going to be too good. (laughs) Right. Right. But if I've got my Asics on, my dry fit wear, my tunes playing on my my, uh, iPhone, I can move, right? Because I can perform better because I got the right equipment for running. I would argue that there's equipment for sleep and it's called a pillow, a mattress, sheets, and whatever else you may need to help you out, right? So let's talk about mattresses because mattresses are very, very important. The number one question that I get is what bed should I buy? You know what the number two question is other than what do we do about waking up in the middle of the night? No, 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 about mattresses. That is is a big question that I get is when should we have sex? And we can talk about that too. Cool. It's um, what does it all mean in the mattress world? There's so much marketing BS in the mm. mattress universe. It is insane, okay? Wow. And, and I've worked with companies where we've got beds that are super high-end luxurious and beds that are less than 100 bucks, right? And everybody has a tendency to use different marketing speak, as it were. So to be fair, um, I have some clients, I work with a lot of celebrities where they may actually have a 15, 20, 50, 80, a hundred thousand dollar bed. That is not an uncommon thing to sure, have. With I've some seen them. Ce- yeah. With some of my celebrity clients. Yeah. Generally speaking, what is a good solid product and what should people be looking for? Let's, let's break that down really simply. Okay. So number one, I don't usually give brands, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. I like the Simmons Beautyrest black or uh, platinum hybrid. And I'll tell you why. It's got springs for the support layer. It's got foam for the comfort layer. And it can be on an adjustable base. Hmm. I've personally put probably north of two or 300 people on that product. I've never had somebody complain about it ever. Fascinating. So what you're looking at, and that that would run you about 23 to 2,500 bucks, right? So it's not not a cheap bed, but that is a bed that's going to work and it's going to work well. And amortized over the life of the bed, it's actually nothing. Correct. Now let's talk about that because I think that's an interesting thought process, right? Is amortized over the lifetime of the bed. You know, people ask me, um, you know, when should I buy a new bed? Like, like there's a turkey timer on the side that pops or something, right? And says, now's the time, right? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Um, I would argue that your body will change faster than your mattress right? So your support needs, right? And so I'm a 52 year old uh, male with low back pain, right? right? And so if I continue on running and I, and, and I damage my back more, the bed that I'm currently in may not be the right support for me, mm-hmm. right? And so I have to look at my body and I have to scan my body on a fairly regular basis to make sure that I'm getting the correct support and comfort that I want from a mattress. 
So Michael, how, how do you know that? If you get up more than twice a week and you're stiff and sore, you may need, to, you may need a new bed. The other thing is if you, um, the other thing is where is the pain that you're feeling? If you're feeling pain in from your ear to your shoulder, that's your pillow. If you're feeling pain in the middle of your torso or lower, that's probably your bed. Right. right? And, and so the easiest thing to do is if you're waking up stiff and sore, go get a new pillow first. Number one, it's a hell of a lot cheaper. Um, but number two is it might solve the problem right then and there. Um, because a lot of times when people buy pillows, they're overstuffed. And so what that does is it jacks your neck to one side and it causes strain here. And so then you're twisting and turning and shuffling all night and it's, you know, and all you really needed was a better pillow. Right. Um, so the very first thing I tell people to do, if you're looking for sleep equipment is get a new pillow um, and get a pillow that's right for you. I wrote a great article um, called how to pick a pillow hmm. and you ask yourself three questions. So number one, first question, squishy or firm, mm -hmm. right? Because do you like the memory foam block of cheese or do you like the super squishy? So that, that's the bifurcation there. Okay. The next question is what, so, what position do you start out sleeping in? Back, side, or stomach? Because you're going to need different heights of pillows for that, right? Because if you're a side sleeper, you have to make up for the space between your ear and the outside of your shoulder. If you're a back sleeper, if you had a pillow that was that thick, your chin would almost be in your chest, right? Because it'd be too thick. Exactly. So, so you need to think through the idea of how do I start out my night? I get it. People toss and turn and rotate throughout the evening, but how do I start my night tends to be the, the way we can pick our best pillow. Also to just be really clear with you, I don't have just one pillow. Um, I actually have several different pillows. So as an example, if it's Thursday and I've run really hard throughout the week and my back is really kicking in, then I might have a different pillow that I put mm. between my legs because my back pain is worse. You see what I'm saying? So absolutely, you should yeah, be it's thinking great. through these ideas. Like nobody just needs one pillow. <laughs> it's almost like a musician having various guitars exactly. for different needs. Yeah, exactly. Right, they're different. And, tunes, and you've geeked different. out to sleep enough to know that there yeah. is a difference between. <laughs> Yes. Various products. You know, uh, there are so many products on the market, including the Apple Watch, which right. allegedly tracks our sleep. And I'm wondering, mm -hmm. do any of those actually do an accurate job of, sure. of what they propose that they do? Absolutely. So let's, let's talk through trackers and, and sleep trackers. So, um, so first of all, people might have noticed I'm wearing an Aura ring. This is a sleep tracker in a, in a form factor of a ring. Um, full disclosure, they've asked me to be on their scientific advisory board, but I can give you a very non-biased opinion across all of it. And by okay. the way, uh, I imagine you have no financial ties with Simmons. Just that I may do not. come up. Okay, cool. I do not. Uh, but no, that's, but, that's but, the right but question. With regard to, to this Aura ring, yeah. it sounds like there is... So, so with Aura, they've asked me to be on board. Um, and so let me be clear. Aura is the cream of the crap. Huh. Okay. So let, they're the best of the worst. Okay. What do I mean by that? The cream of the crap. Right. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Sleep is an incredibly complicated metric, right? So think about where all this came from because it came from tracking steps, right? right. So somebody came out and said, 10,000 steps a day is what you need. It's kind of like that whole eight hour, eight glasses. Right, of an arbitrary figure. Right, some, let's say 10,000 steps, right? Steps is not hard. My daughter can do a calculus equation and figure out, figure that kind of algorithm out, right? You just need the length of your leg, your gait, and you know basically how to get to those 10,000 steps. Sleep much different type of metric. What is a sleep score? What is it? What is it? What are the variables? What makes up a sleep score? Is it how quickly you fall asleep? Is it how quickly you get to deep sleep? Is it how quickly you get to REM sleep? Is it your number of awakenings? Is it the length of the awakenings? Is it how fast your cycle is? I can go on and on. The variables could 
mount into over a hundred different variables. So when we, when we try to pick a number to represent a, a, an event like sleep, it would kind of be impossible to do. So it's not particularly surprising to me that the tracking companies are having a difficult time being accurate. The biggest problem with all the trackers is level of accuracy because remember, sleep is measured by brain waves. Mm -hmm. They're trying to algorithmically go from data that they collect on my finger to making it equal to data that they could collect from my brain. Sure. That is not an easy process for anybody to do. I would think not. Yeah. Now, to be clear, I think Aura's probably done it the best, but it's very difficult and the accuracy levels aren't working really well. So whatever tracker you have, and to be clear, you can track your sleep with a paper and a pencil, hmm. okay? It's called a sleep diary. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. There's five to 10 questions. You can track your sleep and you can learn a whole heck of a lot. Here's what I would tell you about, generally speaking, about trackers is you don't want to look at the absolute data. You want to look at the relative hmm. data. So when my tracker turns to me and says, Dr. Bruce, you're only getting 14 minutes of, uh, let's say, deep sleep a night, if it says 14 or so minutes every single night, I don't think I care. Mm -hmm. I know I'm getting more than 14 minutes. Right. It, is, it is accurately being inaccurate. Sure. It's consistently, it's I consistent, say, it's right. consistently it's, being it's, inaccurate. But if it goes from 14 minutes to 411 minutes, I'm interested in the delta, sure. right? I want to know why did it change. So then I'm going to go back and look at my behaviors. So when we're talking about trackers, the reason that none of them are great is because it's a complicated metric. What we all need to do is really understand the numbers that we're getting, and then we can make some assumptions and you know, do a little bit of testing. Um, I would argue that um, basically what biohacking is, is just straight up A-B testing on your body, right? I try this, let's see what happens. Okay, I remove that, now let's see what happens. And that's pretty much what biohacking is. Very cool. What are your favorite tips, easy to implement tips? Mm -hmm. So I've got five. Okay. So I have a five-step plan. It's super easy for everybody to remember. And if you follow this five-step plan, I promise you, you will sleep well. Hmm. Okay? No question about it. Step number one is stick to one wake-up schedule. So whatever the time is, and I don't care, hopefully it's based on your chronotype, get up at the same time every day, including the weekends. Wow. Right? Very hard to do. It's not. Once you get used to it, you're done. Okay. Just to be clear, in 21 days, you'll form the habit. It, it literally takes that long for your circadian cycle to reset. Once you're locked and loaded, your body does the and rest. And yet I imagine within those 21 days, it is a bit of a journey. But Oh, there's no question it's a journey. Okay. You got to be motivated, sure. um, but stick to one wake-up time. One wake-up time. Step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. So right. I'm not going to tell people to stop caffeine completely because nobody would listen. <laughs> and to be fair... I wouldn't. I like coffee every once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So, but caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. So if you stop at two, average bedtime in the United States is between 10 and 11. Sure. And you should be, have at least half of it out of your system. Definitely. So notice I didn't say no caffeine. I just said, please stop at two o'clock. So step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Step number three has to do with alcohol. So we were talking a little bit about it earlier, but it takes the, an average human body one hour to digest one alcoholic beverage. So remember, alcohol is a diuretic. So if you have one glass of wine, drink one glass of water and wait one hour before bed. If you have two glasses of wine, drink two glasses of water and wait two hours before bed. Hmm. Once you hit the third, that's when it turns into no bueno world, right? <laughs> and we were talking about that earlier. That's when you can either get excitatory or aggressive, which is not what we want. So step number three is at the absolute outset, 
stop drinking alcohol three hours before bed. That gives you an opportunity to drink two, two and a half glasses and stop. Step number four has to do with exercise. The single best way to improve the quality of your sleep is with daily exercise. You don't have to run a marathon, but you do need to get out there and get a good sweat going. But you don't want to do that too close to bedtime sure. because that core body temperature will actually make it difficult to fall asleep because when you're running and, or exercising, you know, you raise that body temperature up and you got to be careful with that. So step number four is to stop exercise four hours before bed. The last step has to do with your morning routine. When you wake up in the morning, the very first thing that you should be doing is grabbing a bottle of water, drinking that water, and then getting 15 minutes of sunlight. So step number five is to give the sun a high five every morning with 15 minutes of sunlight. So step Brilliant. number one, wake up at the same time, one scheduled wake up time. Step number two, stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Step number three, stop alcohol three hours before bed. Step number four, exercise daily, but stop exercise four hours before bed. And step number five, give the sun a high five every morning, get 15 minutes of sunlight, which helps turn off the melatonin faucet in your brain, gets rid of that brain fog and you are good to go. That is absolutely brilliant. I love those five. Um, going back to the space between our ears, uh, one, of, <laughs> <laughs> one of my uh, favorite graduate school professors said the number one sex uh, organ is actually not between our legs, but it's actually between our ears. And I'm wondering, yep. you mentioned a lot about sex and sleep. And mm -hmm. I also imagine that the bedroom should be only used for those two things, sex and sleep Generally for speaking. the most part, maybe yeah. a little reading. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but certainly not watching CNN before bed, uh, I imagine, uh, or something, something really excitatory in, in the bedroom. Right. So let's, so let's, so let's, let's unpack this. Sure. Before we, right. before we go to sex. Right. No, no, no. We'll, we'll talk about sex first. So people, when I, when I came up with my book, The Power of When, which talked about timing and when would you have the most energy or when would you perform the best? The very first question that I got from every single journalist that interviewed me was, Dr. Bruce, what's the best time for sex? So let's talk about it. So it's actually quite simple. So you need five hormones in order to have successful sex. You need estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, adrenaline, and cortisol all need to be high. Right. And melatonin needs to be low. Right. Okay. You want to take a guess at what your hormone profile looks like at 1030 at night? Very poor. Exactly. 74% of people have sex between 10 and 11 o'clock at night. Don't ask me how I know that. We had to run a survey to figure it out. Here's what's so fascinating is when... When you look at your hormone profile at 10.30 at night, it's the opposite of what you want, right? Melatonin is high and all five of those things are low. So that's hint number one about mm -hmm. when you should be having sex. Hint number two, what do most men wake up with in the morning? It's called an erection, I believe. It's called morning wood, right? <laughs> and so if that is not mother nature telling you what to do with that, I don't know what is. Sex in the morning time actually makes better sense from an emotional connection standpoint, hmm. and believe it or not, from a physical performance standpoint as well. So when we start to look at that, it's very interesting. It's no longer not tonight I have a headache, it's not tonight I'm so freaking exhausted. And it absolutely has an effect, not only on erectile strength, but also distance, right? So how long are you going to last during intercourse it has a direct effect on how much sleep deprivation you have and Amazing. the timing of the sex itself. So for anybody out there who wants to try to increase that level of performance and try something a little different, have sex in the morning. What if like you wake up with that morning fog is just the high five to the sun will take care of that and then you, and then you get it on? Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. 
Fantastic. I believe we only have five more minutes. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So I will ask you this. Is there anything I should have asked so far, but haven't yet? Because that's my second to last question. Nope. I'm good. You're down with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, imagine you're a wizard and you could actually give the gift of, <laughs> right? Give the gift of great sleep to the entire planet. How do you imagine it would be for the individual and society at large if everyone got a good night's sleep? So it's really interesting that you asked me this question. So my mission, and you don't know this, uh, my mission is to try and get everybody, the entire world, one good night of sleep on the same night. And I'll tell you why. I can't imagine how cool it would be the next day. Mm. I mean, everybody would get along. Mm. Nobody would be cranky. Mm. Um, I, my guess is a lot of problems would get solved. And so for both the individual and for society, the closer that we can all get to getting a good night's sleep, I would argue the closer we're ever going to get to some level of serenity, peacefulness, spirituality, all of the things that we all really want to have will come with better sleep. The data is just very consistent on it. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I'm so grateful for you sharing your wisdom with my listeners. Yeah, sure. uh, especially relevant during COVID uh, timestamp. This is happening at the end of May in 2020 uh, when we're still in the midst of that. Um, anything you want to share before we, we part? You know, I just would love to tell people out there, sleep is not as hard as it sounds. Um, everybody knows how to do it. Most people just forgot. Um, and the good news here is, is that you can always get a good night's sleep. Very few people have got what I call a broken sleeper in their brain right? It's really about understanding your stress, setting up your environment in a really good way, and just following some basic rules that you probably already know. But if you check out my five-step plan, I think it'll be super helpful. Well, I think it's really great what you're putting out there. I really would recommend that everyone take a look at your chronotype by visiting Michael's website. Uh, he is absolutely fantastic. He's one of the, as I mentioned in my introduction of him, he's one of the few sleep specialist who is not only a clinical psychologist, but has also been approved by the medical board. Uh, so he's just offered a ton of really useful information that will help your life. Uh, the difference between a good night's sleep and not is, is night and day, no pun intended. Um, I've seen the effects on my son just during this time of COVID where he's been able to get a better night's sleep. One of the few upticks of, of this yeah pandemic has been better sleep. Uh, for those of you who can't see, Michael is holding his beautiful dog, Spark. My Chihuahua, Sparky. <laughs> and he's just fantastic. He looks like a mini greyhound uh, for mm. those of you who are listening. In any case, Michael, thank you so much for of your course. time. It was my pleasure. Uh, I'm so much fun. Um, hopefully one day I'll get to come back to Super Psyched. Um, and I'd talk love to, you to guys have you about back. some more stuff. It sounds like a great, it's a great place to be for sure. Well, you've got carte blanche. You're always welcome back. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey. Thanking you for listening to super psyched to listen to other great episodes or to get more information about today's episode. Please visit me at my website, dradamdorsey.com. That's D R A D A M D O R S A Y.com and click the super psyched podcast link.